tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink. And welcome to Tin Foil Hat. You know I am. You know I'm here to do. I'm here to rock. There we go. Uh, join me as always is my good friend, the man, the myth, the legend, Xavier Guerrero. What's up? And on the ones and twos, we got uh, Johnny Wooder. Hey, dude. Johnny, what is your uh, social media? At Johnny Woodard on Twitter. At Johnny A. Woodard on Instagram. XG marks the spot. And I am at Sam Tripoli. Join us in studio. We'll bring in our guest on Skype, the man, the myth, the legend, Eddie Bravo. How are you? I'm doing great, considering. Considering you're in the <laughs> yeah. mix. Eddie, uh, our gig in at the Ice House got canceled, but we have gigs coming up. We have May, uh, April 11th, we're at the Rec Room, but I think that is sold out. Okay, and then we have May 1st, we're at uh, Spokane, the Spokane Comedy Club. And then May, uh, May 2nd, it's a 4.30 show, we're at Tacoma. And then May 9th is a big show in Chicago. If uh, they don't get canceled. If they don't get canceled. Positive energy. Today's episode is brought to you by our good friends at uh, Omax Cryo-Freeze. Guys, uh, Omax, man, it's, uh, it's a natural way to deal with pain, man. Some of you guys, you work out, you work hard, you get a little older, you have aches and pains, man. You could take prescription medication, but you can get hooked on it. But thanks now to our good friends at Omax Cryo-Freeze. They have, they have Cryo-Freeze CBD developed by Omax Health. It's a non-prescription triple action pain relief roll-on is specifically formatted for the block pain receptors reduce inflammation and improve muscle and joint flexibility the best part is it's 100 natural cbd powered remedies work its magic within 10 minutes and it lasts up to eight hours i don't care if you're doing jujitsu krav maga getting lap dances from strippers like uh xg did last night you will feel the pain and it's you Wanted to be all natural. You don't want to get hooked on any of that devil sauce, okay? UCBD. And this is what's going on. Omax Health is offering my listeners 20% off a full bottle of CryoFreeze pain relief roll-on plus free shipping. The discount also applies towards any product statewide. Just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter the code TIN foil hat to take advantage of the incredible savings that's o m a x health.com enter code tin foil hat to get 20 percent off your dad uses it huh johnny yeah i took some home while i was home and it really is it, he's his knees are trashed and they help so much you know, uh, i've been using it because i'm holding babies up and my arms are getting i put on a little cbd oil on it babies look feeling great rocking and rolling two little stink bucks so that's it Thank you to Omax Crowdfreeze for their sponsorship. Go to omaxhealth.com and use the promo code TINFOILHAT. And guys, the Patreon real quick. I'm doing daily 20, 30-minute shows every day. Go to patreon.com backslash tinfoilhat. Today I'm going to talk about Q and the mass arrest. We'll get into that. 20 minutes is almost like quick news reports. 
Eddie, are you excited about our guest? Oh, yeah. I got questions. Okay. Uh, he's been on before, and he's back again. And he, uh, you guys loved what he was on about our... Um, about uh, the vaccines, and listen, man, this guy is doing the Lord's work. He's out there. He is countering the hysteria. Please welcome back to the show, Dr. Shiva Ayurderu. Ha, huh? did I get close? Ayurderu. Ayurderu. Bam! Welcome, doctor. How are you? Welcome back. I'm doing good. Can we, oh yeah, turn him up a little bit. Doctor, you're, uh, uh, you are a superhero in these modern days. You are intellectual, information, superhero, uh, real quick, can you tell everybody where they can uh, find you and how they can support your cause? Uh, yeah, well, two ways. You know, I have two websites that people may like. One is, you know, I'm actively running for United States Senate in Massachusetts, and people can go to Shiva, S-H-I-V-A, for the numeral four, senate.com. Uh, but I also work full-time, and I'm not a just a lawyer, lobbyist, politician running. I have uh, m multiple companies I do. One of my, uh, and you can go to learn more about that at V as in Victor A, Shiva.com. Um, and we can talk about that. You know, I, I run a company called Cytosolve, uh, Systems Health. And then we actually have, a, our nonprofit research foundation has created a, a certification you'll find at many of the health food stores called Clean Food Certified. We've, we've led that movement for really looking at clean food. So. But throughout this website, you'll find a number of things. And I think people will be happy to know that you're talking to someone who actually uh, does not want to be a full-time politician. But this is something I'm doing to really be of service in a small way. Uh, you know, I've been following you for a long time. And when you came on the show, people were blown away. People from all over the place were like, thank you for having the doctor on. Thank you for, you know, getting out real information in this kind of craze with vaccines. So here we are again, the coronavirus. You know, Eddie and I have been talking all the time about what's really going on. And it just, here we are with the mainstream media pushing a narrative again that just does not make sense. Uh, the, the numbers don't add up. The energy of what's going on doesn't make up. Make up. I mean, we had rush inclusion. That didn't hit. Oh, uh, the, you know, Assad's gassing the Syrians. That didn't hit. Oh, what about the Kurds? That didn't hit. We have, uh, you know, the Ukrainian pro quo. That didn't hit. So here we are a couple months outside the election uh, on a president. That I think everybody in the room agrees that they probably don't want to get reelection. Those the globalist, in my opinion, don't want to get reelected because there's so much at stake. Uh and here we are, again, on the internet, a couple of us sitting there pushing back against this misinformation movement that's out there. Eddie, what are your thoughts on the whole thing before we get the doctor's thought? Man, you just hear so many different theories, you know. There's a, some are crazier than others. But uh, for me, it, 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 you know, I'm sure the numbers are probably different now, but as of a day or two ago, 55 people in the United States dead and their average age is 80 um that, and then you know 22,000 people have died of the flu so far this year since january 1st in the united states so those numbers they just don't make sense to me like i mean you would think like if you woke up out of a 20-year coma and and you watch the news you would think that there were zombies on the street attacking you 
right? Right. You're like, whoa, what is this thing? It sounds like it's a thousand times stronger than the flu. And you're like, actually, it's, you know, you know, the flu's killed 22,000 so far this year. And this thing's killed 55. And they're all average age 80 and half of them are in some old folks home in Washington. That don't make any sense to me. We're acting like, we're acting like, um, you know, there's lepers running on the street. Yeah, it is chaos. Doctor, what's your thought about when this first happened? What are your thoughts about going on? What do you think's really going on? And what information do you think our listeners need to really know right now? Yeah, it's a good question. Look, I yes. think what's going on um, is an amazing opportunity for, for us to rip away the layers of, you know, sort of the nonsense and get down to really starting to go to some fundamental principles and frankly, knowledge, you know, what's happened is over the many, many decades, uh, people have been uh, trained not to really go, go into science and math and what I call systems thinking. And because of the lack of really training and and really appreciation for the plumber, the electrician, the engineer, people actually understand how systems work and diminishing of that kind of knowledge and education, raising up a lot of nonsensical knowledge, we've ended up in this point and where people are fearing, uh, you know, feeling fearful and pa panic stricken. That's sort of the broader thing. But when you really look at the coronavirus, it's really an opportunity to understand what is the immune system and how do we really get health? And that's sort of what I think, if we look at that, there's a huge opportunity for people to learn a lot and actually get stronger. So if you look at the coronavirus, First of all, it's a virus, right? right? So when people hear the word virus, the immediate thing is, they, you know, I think that this, there's a movie called, what, Pandemic and out recently. So people immediately think that the virus is going to kill and harm you. Would you agree? Yeah. Everyone thinks that the virus is what kills you. So this is one of the fundamental problems of the lack of understanding, because even the MD and the pediatrician uh, and even a lot of uh, research scientists do not understand the immune system. You see the bottom line is it's not the virus that, I think Eddie, you just said, I think what, 56 people in the age of 80? Yeah, Those are the people yeah. who had, who've died, the mortality rate. It's not the virus that uh, harms or kills people. This is, this is sort of the first layer of misunderstanding we should take away. And what you come to is you come to understand it is the reaction, in fact, the overreaction of a weakened and dysfunctional immune system, that is what leads to harm and death, mortality. Okay, so that's sort of the two principles, not the virus that kills you. We got about 380 trillion viruses in our body, around 60 trillion bacteria, what we call the microbiome, and about six trillion cells. And I shake your hand or you know, I'm away from you. We're all transacting these viruses every day. It's called the virome, inside and outside. So. The first understanding, it's not the virus that's killing people or harming people, it is a reaction of the immune system. So why So why did those, so if you look at 11 million people in Wuhan, I think what, let's say 10,000 people have died. Let's assign them all to Wuhan. It's a very small percentage of the entire population. So the issue is why did those people die? Or why did those 56 people die? And what you'll find out is that those people in some way were immunocompromised that immune system is compromised in some form. And, and, and if we start really understanding, well, why was their immune system compromised and why didn't this person die? We start getting closer to really appreciating and getting a rational handle on truth. And what you'll find is that two things happen. I mean, there's many things, but here are two things that happen 
uh, let's say for the aged, as you age, your thyroid function goes down, right? Number one. The second thing that happens is your body stops, starts producing less and less hydrochloric acid, right? So these are two, I mean, there are other things, but I mean, you know, glutathione levels drop, which is a very important antioxidant, but these are things that happen. So why is the thyroid important? Because the thyroid is the thing that creates, in, under the right conditions, it creates vitamin A. And the thyroid takes fuel into it as a carotenoid. You know, if you want to, ideally you want to get them from food and your body converts that in the presence of iodine to vitamin A. Now, vitamin A is actually not a vitamin, it's actually a hormone, and it has multiple functions. One of its important functions is to create cytokeratin. So think about it, it really protects the cell membranes. You know, I was using cell wall, the right term is cell membranes. So if you look at, I mean, some photographs, if you guys want, I can share with you, there's a beautiful picture of the epithelial in the lungs, and under the right construct with proper vitamin A, your cells are protected. It's a thing that makes sure things don't even get in if you want to think about it that way. Okay. So as people age or people aren't taking care of their bodies properly, you have reduction of vitamin A. The other thing is, you know, you, you guys have probably heard of the term acidophilus, right? Of course. It's a bacteria. Well, acidophilus, look at the term. It's, it's acid. You know, I mean, it's phyllis bacteria, which likes fill like acid. So if your acid levels drop, which means you don't actually have uh, enough HCL, your microbiome content changes in your gut. So when you look at the entire immune system, you have the innate immune system, the adaptive. Do you want me to share a picture here? Would that help? Yeah, if you can. Uh, I think I think I can share stuff here. Can Oh yeah, let me share my screen here. Um, sometimes a picture is a thousand words here. Uh, let me bring up this PowerPoint. I shared it earlier. Okay, so if you look at the old model of the immune system that was really, can you guys see this? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I gave a talk about uh, three, four months ago. I was invited to give the prestige lecture, which is a big honor at the National Science Foundation at, this, at the Science of Information Center. And there's a few of these NSF centers. And I was act, actually act to give, I was asked to give a talk on the modern science of the immune system. What you see here, um, Sam and Eddie and, and everyone else is that this was the model of the immune system that a doctor is trained in. They say there's the innate immune system, a pathogen comes, and then after a while, the adaptive immune system kicks in to produce antibodies, okay? This system of the immune system is what is still used as a basis of vaccinations, right? As a basis of arguing uh, for the, the notion that, oh, if you have antibodies, you're protected, okay? Right. That is the only thing that protects you, okay? So what, what am I talking about here? A pathogen is a virus, some type of allergen, some type of bacteria. When it comes into your innate immune system, which is your first box here, and that immune system is all the things that come into contact with you, imagine you with the outer world, right? Through your eyes, through your nose, through your respiratory, through your uh, ears, you know, through the orifices in your body, right? through your skin, um, et cetera. Right. And when, or mucous membranes in your gut. So when, when the pathogen comes, your innate immune system kicks in. It's like the infantry starts firing everywhere, macrophages, neutrophils, and they try to take out that pathogen. And that typically is during the first zero to 72 hours. And when that occurs, what happens? You may get a little illness, right? A little fever, red, you know, this kind of stuff. 
And then typically after that, your adaptive immune system kicks in, and these are like your Navy SEAL sharpshooters. They try to produce a right antibody for that right pathogen, okay? Right. And by the way, this is happening every moment right now, okay? Your body's feeling it, your innate system kicks in and adaptive. But this was the model of the immune system going back to 50, 60 to 150 years, okay? Wow. But you know, my work as a systems biologist tells me and informs me, and um, this is what I present at the NSF, is that this two-box model is a very, very, very simplified model of what the real uh, subsystems are. And this is why doctors, the pediatrician, do not learn the body from an engineering system standpoint. So what you really have is you have the innate, you definitely have that, you have the adaptive, but there's a whole other system called the interferon system, which was a big part of my PhD work at MIT, which is really the missing link between this and this. What's interesting is the interferon system actually upregulates thousands of genes. What I mean by this is that when you get hit with you know external pathogens, not only does your innate kick in, but your interferon. And what's powerful about this interferon system is your body in many ways wants a virus and it actually upregulates other genes, which protect you against many other viruses beyond that first one. You following me? Yes. It's, your body wants to get, quote unquote, infected, and it learns how to protect itself. It's like, you know, you guys, I know you guys are into exercise, you lift weights, you go to the gym one time, you know, and it's, you know, and then you, you, you know, you feel sore if you haven't been worked out for a while, then you go out again, right, and you get stronger. Our bodies were built for resilience not to be living in a little bubble. And then we have the microbiome, which is all the gut bacteria. There's also the virome here. And the microbiome, all, your gut, which is your first brain, communicates with your second brain, which is your neural brain, okay? So I'm gonna go back here, but what I'm trying to say is that the, the body is actually designed beautifully to be able to, in a choreography of multiple systems, to, to, to uh, differentially manage pathogens, okay? The way it works for you, uh, Sam, may be different than the way it works for Eddie, okay? Right. So what happened in 2003, when the genome project ended, is that we found out that we have the same number of genes as a worm. We have about 20,000 genes. We don't have a million genes and a worm has 20,000. The biologists, again, biologists are basically knowledge engineers, right? They get paid to go find one little uh, discovery and you win a Nobel Prize for that. They're not incented like engineers to put together the parts. This is why when you know there's these quote unquote experts, pediatricians and MDs, I'm sorry, they don't understand the immune system. It's, not, it's, it's like asking the mechanic who's working on the propeller, do you know how the entire airplane functions? Right, he doesn't. Right, right. Okay, that's what's happened with medicine. We give way too much eminence to a, a, a strata of people who don't really look at the body as an engineering system. So when you look at this entire system, um, the body is intended to take on pathogens and get stronger. So when you have dysfunctions, am I still scared? I'm yeah, 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 so, you're still here. We're here, yeah, we're here. So, so if you look at each of those systems, the innate, the interferon, the adaptive, the microbiome, the neural system, if you have gut issues, you're gonna have neuroinflammation, what they call quote unquote autism. I don't really like using that word, but autism is really a spectrum of neuroinflammation. Oh, but what so that's what we learned on the last time you were on, that basically autism, there's an inflammation going on. Yep. There's it's, an it's over-inflammation. It's a process. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. Johnny, is everything okay? Uh, you're still sharing your screen, so we're seeing us instead of you. Uh, I think I think if you just switch back to Skype. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no That's problem. That's all right. That's sorry all right, that, doctor. That's all right. Sorry. So I'm sorry about that. So there we go. So what's so when you look at this, the immune system, the modern uh, idea of the immune system, what you realize is that the entire basis of medical interventions to support immune health is frankly old. <laughs> on a good day with vaccines, for example, it's 50 years old. On a bad day, it's 150 years old. Okay. And, they, and there's no one, and, and the powers that be don't want anybody coming in. To change it well, up. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you think about what's what's happened, you know, I have a company, Cytosolve. We create a technology where we can model molecular pathways on the computer to eliminate animal testing to, in fact, help pharma do stuff fast, faster, right? Faster and cheaper. We use it for understanding natural products. But one of the big things you find with pharma, pharma has a major trillion dollar problem. They know they're in perilous times. Why? It takes around 13 years to create a single drug. What's a drug? A drug is not a compound that occurs in nature like uh, cannabinoid or turmeric. It is something that's synthetically made and it doesn't occur in nature. So the way they create a drug is first they test it in a test tube. Maybe they take some cancer cells. They, they sort of, it's like shooting in the dark. You put something, oh look, that's stopping the cancer cells. Then they raise maybe $40 million in these biotech companies in Cambridge. Then they go kill a bunch of animals. They say, oh, okay, it's killing the animals with cancer. It's not killing too many of them. And then they go to the FDA and they have to file what's called an IND, an Investigational New Drug Allowance. By the way, that process, the first process is called preclinical trials, and that takes around six years. If they get their allowance by the FDA, then they're allowed to go test on small groups of humans, phase one, larger groups, phase two, and much larger groups, phase three. When you look at that entire process, it's around 13 years, three to five billion dollars. And the drug that comes out of it eventually may actually have side effects, okay? And in fact, 20% of the drugs entering phase one don't make it. So what you're looking at is a very expensive process for pharmaceutical companies to create this drug. And when it comes out of there, you have the right to sue them, right? High liability, high cost, high liability. Now go to vaccines. In 1962, John Kennedy passed the National Vaccine Act. It was passed about 10 years after the polio vaccine, one year before the measles vaccine. And the notion was, okay, vaccines can help upregulate antibodies, the diagram I showed you. Right. Therefore, you're going to be, you know, your immune system is going to be in Stronger. good shape. Yeah. And that was based on a very simplistic understanding of the immune system. By 1986, parents were complaining their kids were getting injured. People were getting injured. And they were starting to sue the pharma vaccine manufacturers. But remember, their goal was to make vaccines everywhere, not like a drug. They don't, you know, it's not like you get Lipitor or you get right. ibuprofen. You're, they want vaccines everywhere, all 7 billion people. Okay, they wanna go after everything. So as a part of that, what, what they noticed was, wait a minute, people are getting injured. Shit, if this happens and you take a certain percentage of people getting injured, we're gonna have massive liability. So what did they do? Instead of eliminating the vaccine mandates of John Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, his brother, Orrin Hatch and Waxman, created the Na National Vaccine Injury Program. Okay, it was a Band-Aid, which was basically completely nonsensical because it said, we're gonna take away liability or indemnify the vaccine manufacturers and put it into a thing called a vaccine court, which would be under Health and Human Services. 
And the Democrats owned both House and the Senate. Reagan was in there and they shoved it in a, another bill, which, which had a lot of good things. And Reagan did not want to sign it and was signed. So one candidate created the National Vaccine Act. The other candidate created the vaccine, National Vaccine Injury Program, which was a freaking Band-Aid. OK, then what we have today is that parents were still complaining and to throw them a few bones in the 90s and 2000, they said, OK, some of the states will give you religious and medical exemptions. But that wasn't enough. So the idea was to even take those away. Yeah. Then you have the so-called activists out there like the Kennedys and these guys, which frankly, it's interesting. Bobby Kennedy, another Kennedy, claims he's against vaccines, but he uh, endorsed Hillary Clinton. Yeah. OK, so it's fascinating for me when I came in to observe this. But the fundamental issue here is we're dealing with science that's 50 to 100 years old. All of it should go away and we should decentralize medicine back to the doctor patient relationship. I'm not saying X, Y, Z person does not need vaccines and this person does. It's not a vax or anti-vax question. If you brought up your kid in a bubble all day, right? And you didn't expose him to anything versus me who grew up in India playing in dirt and slums and all yeah. that. I'm probably pretty resilient. I don't need a lot of vaccines. I probably got two or three in my life. OK, right. The kid was brought up in a bubble. Mate, you may need to titrate him with some of those vaccines so he doesn't freak out when he goes out. OK, but the bottom line is medicine has to be personalized. One size doesn't fit all. So when you look at the coronavirus, it is a glycoprotein. It is, you know, the, the way these viruses work is you think about a ball. On the ball are different types of uh, structures which know how to stick onto the cell wall. Inside that ball are nucleic acids, in this case, ribonucleic acids, right? Single-stranded RNA. Now, what is the purpose of a virus? A virus wants to get into the machinery of your cell, take over that cell, and use that machinery to replicate itself, okay? So how does it do that? Well, it first of all, think about you have a big bubble which represents your cell. Right. And think about this little bubble which represents the virus. It's trying to get in. Well, it gets, it's, first of all, it has to get in and then it has to replicate itself, okay? The process of getting in is a function of a couple of variables. A, can it stick on, right? Hang on, like think about a lamprey eel hanging on to, you know, those um, sharks. So it has to stick. And then it has to be able to send, drill through the cell. I'm, I'm putting it oh into more God. accessible terms, okay? And get in its RNA into the cell. And when the RNA gets in, the it uses the machinery of the cell to replicate itself, okay? So there's a number of variables. First of all, why is it even able to get in? Well, the second of all, if it gets in, the body now uh, will start... Uh, firing off all those pieces I showed you to try to stop that, the adaptive, the innate, the IFN system. Now in the normal mode, if everything is working right, the adapt innate system kicks in, the interferon system kicks in, your adaptive system kicks in, you know, and you don't even notice it. Like you could have Corona right now, your body done it, you got, you got a little sweat, something happens, a little cough, you're done. Okay, nothing happened to you. Right. That, that's in the normal case. In the abnormal case, the, your, your body, because it's a weakened immune system, let's say the T cells, which are in your adaptive, have been compromised, or the macrophages in your innate have been compromised. You know what then happens? Your body is still trying to protect itself. It overreacts with what's called a cytokine storm. 
And that cytokine storm, which are other chemicals, and they are very specific, go to particular areas to try to knock out that virus. That agent. Yeah. Now, in the case of a virus, the outer layer of that virus, it sloughs off, it's a protein, and different viruses have those proteins which go to different parts of your body. In the case of uh, Ebola, it goes to your you know, arterial endothelial, which is in your uh, blood vessels, et cetera. That's why you bleed from outside. So those, oh, those proteins go there, and your cytokines, it's you go attack yourself. In the case of corona, virus the 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 the, uh, the the proteins go to your epithelial in your lungs or your gut intestinal okay and then your own body goes attacks that so what i'm trying to tell you is in the normal case you're getting a virus you deal with it maybe you get a little cough a cold you get over it based on if you were stressed out you know maybe you weren't eating well maybe you you know depending on your state your body doesn't fully act properly, and that's why you get the cytokine storm, okay? Okay. I hope so, that's clear. Yeah, okay, so let's digest what was said here, okay? First of all, we got into that the science is a little old right now. We understand that. We've learned this before. The science is a little old. Uh, we have this, what I believe is kind of this movement to uh, do, you know, mandatory vaccinations. And what we know is that this is not an exact science. We're using old old, old, um, old science here. And what I'm trying, what I understand from what you said is that yes, this is a virus. It is a real virus, but is the virus any worse than any of the viruses we have right now out there? You know, that event 200 that just came out, they said that at any time there's like 200 epidemics going in during the year. What makes this any worse than anyone else? I mean, we've seen famous people coming forward going, I have the coronavirus. I showed no signs. I'm a little tired. Oh, I just beat it. Nothing too much. But within some people, based on uh, what you said earlier, they have a certain immune system that may not be able to fight this, and that's why they're getting hit harder, and that's not what we're being told. Am I? And, and by the way, Italy's entire healthcare system is a very corrupt, it's a socialized system. If people aren't understanding the conditions there. It's a very backward system. You know, I used to work with an Italian researcher. He goes, the last thing you want to do is end up in an Italian hospital, okay? For sure. Okay. So we're talking, people don't understand context here, all right? So when you really understand context here, what you really go down to is, why isn't Fauci, why isn't the CDC talking about immune health? So what has happened here? In the last, what, two months or less than that, coronavirus is gonna hit, oh my God, pandemic, pandemic, okay. And by the way, compared to H1N1, when Obama was in office, 60 million people, 18,000 deaths, right? We didn't shut down everything. We went on as business as usual. You know, he had, uh, you know, what they did with quantitative easing to the stock market in 2009 was awful because think the big banks should have failed instead of letting them fail. They propped them up yep. and they continued that, okay? Because he was paid off by the bankers to get him elected. In this case, Trump in 2016, you know, I want to bring a little bit of just, you know, he wanted to get rid of the Fed, right? He was nationalist, anti the elites. So it's a different condition. Now a virus comes in, right? You hype it up with, by the way, the CDC. And, and the, the problem, the unfortunate you know, uh, position Trump's in is when it came to Russian collusion, he could take it on. When it came to impeachment, he can take it on. But here, 
who does he have operating, pushing? This is the CDC, which has a revolving door with Big Pharma. Guys come in, go to Big Pharma. If you see the meeting once a year that takes place in Atlanta, the CDC director surround on a horseshoe and they decide what's going to be the vaccine guidelines while their lobbyists, the medical guys sit around outside of them. It's total collusion. Those are the guys sitting here acting as though they care about public health. Well, they don't give a damn about public health. This is an opportunity for them to feign public health because if they really cared about public health, fine. If you believe there's a major infection, fine. You have to, let's say, keep people away, make sure the immunocompromised are protected. But if you really cared about public health, let's look at how we actually reduce infectious diseases. And that occurred when history shows through infrastructure, right? 1900s, 14 out of 100,000 people were dying from infectious diseases in 1900. By 1950, it had come down to 0.5 out of 100,000, 98% reduction. And how did we get there? It wasn't the doctor or the pharmacist. That's not how it occurred. It was a sanitation, it was vitamin A, it was nutrition, getting rid of child labor, refrigeration. The, the, as I've mentioned over and over again, the plumber and the sanitation worker did more for bringing down infectious diseases than the doctor and the pharmacist. And by the time measles vaccine was created, 98% was gone. So the whole thing is freaking BS. And how did we get infrastructure gains? That came from American workers in the late 1800s militantly fighting on the streets because their kids and their children were being treated like dirt by the elites. And, and Franklin Delano Roosevelt was a racist scumbag, okay? <laughs> it's not like he helped these people. I'm what he you. actually did was he threw bones to them because there was gonna be a revolution in this country of not communists, but working people from below. Can you so explain? So when you look at today, we have the same problem. We have an infrastructure issue in this company. We have dirty water, dirty air, dirty food. We have obese people at 28, 30%. Look at the population. And, and you've created an immunocompromised population. And the healthcare systems, massive high costs. So we have corrupt healthcare systems, big pharma, big ag, which has completely denigrated the health of the people in this country. So what I'm, I think the real issue here, if you really cared about viruses, all right, Anthony Fauci, all right, CDC, why don't you put the old people on you know, vitamin C and IV drip, uh, glutathione drips right now? Protect their immune systems. They're not doing that. What they're saying is, we're gonna wait, wait for the vaccine. And the vaccine manufacturers, look, I used to work, one of my good advisors at MIT, you know, he's on the board of Moderna, which is gonna make a lot of money off this vaccine, right? So the mafia at MIT, the mafia biotech, they spin off biotech companies all day long. They have their process. They have their guys in the CDC, but none of them ever talk about prevention. None of them ever talk about building resilient immune systems. You know why? Because that's not a market that's regulated that they can control. So this is a fundamental issue. And unfortunately, Trump, you know, he's fighting on the one hand, people trying to destroy the economy. He's trying to bring manufacturing back. He's trying to, you know, bring IP protection because if the fall occurs, he doesn't want it to go way deep. And that's why it's unfortunate right now because the mainstream academics, they're all, they all practice the oldest profession. So we have an important opportunity in this country for people to recognize from a system standpoint, we have to understand that the body is an amazing system. You feed it the right things. You have clean air, clean food, you know, 
you you can heal the body right. in Massachusetts. So anyway, my point is, if you want to care about health, public health, let's talk about public health beyond just quarantining people, hitting them up with drugs and vaccines. All right, doctor, hold That's on. We got a couple questions. The picture. We got a couple questions. Eddie, you had a question? Yeah, you said something interesting um, a couple minutes ago about the uh, measles vaccine and how uh, how most of measles was already gone by the time the vaccine came out. Is that correct? 98% of measles was gone by the time measles vaccine was, was uh, you know, the measles vaccine came. So you're saying the vaccine had nothing to do with the eradicate, the eradication of measles? If you, Eddie, if you look at the graph, right, it's, it's a beautiful, it's like the, so you got it, it, it the vaccines help nominally. You see what I'm saying? I'm yeah. saying most of the gains of eliminating infectious diseases came from sanitation, came from nutrition, came from vitamin A. Now, why is that important, okay? If you look at, if you, for example, if you go to vitamin A therapy, which I've talked about, vitamin A modulates many of those inflammatory processes, that cytokine response, okay? Cleanliness, sanitation, that's where we really gained in infectious diseases. So I'm not saying measles vaccine didn't do anything, but what I'm trying to tell you is that the real gains the 98% drop came from infrastructure. Now, could the same be said about polio? Polio is an interesting question. Look, um, if you read the writings of Jonas Salk, he wrote a very interesting letter. He was against safety testing on vaccines. Did you know that? No. Yeah, there's a letter he wrote. He goes, we don't need to do safety testing. So what <laughs> happened was when, remember, polio was a certain phenomenon that people notice, right? Okay. After the polio, in fact, in the middle of the polio vaccine, they accidentally gave the live virus and a number of people actually got hurt, which they don't talk about. Um, I, I, while, I, it was a famous case, I'll look it up and I'll, I'll send it to you post, post this call. Uh, and then after that, they redefined what polio was. There were people who were symptomatic with the same things and they called it something else. Hmm. The issue, the issue here, right, is the use of vaccines as the only intervention to support immune health is what I'm talking about. So it's not about vaccines or not vaccines. It's, it's about what is the goal here? Is it to support immune health or is it to essentially create a medical intervention which is not the cure-all for the larger issue? That's what I'm talking about. So when you're talking about polio, you're saying that they... Uh, when the polio vaccine came out, they redefined uh, different levels of polio and gave it different names like uh, yeah, so, so after men the meningitis. And yeah, for example, in India, I don't know if you know, they've been giving the polio thing and polio is coming back. There's, if, if, if you look it up, there's uh, uh, a number of people who got the polio vaccine and they actually are getting polio. How so, does that happen? Uh, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, the, the body, you know, it reacts in, into an inflammatory process. So remember what I said, it's not the vaccine that is causing this. So think about the, what we call polio, what we call measles, what we call these phenomenon that people see as a manifestation of disease. It's not the vaccine that's causing that. It is a reaction of the body in its own particular, you may react very differently to the um, intervention of a pathogen and the proteins of that pathogen go settle in different parts of your body. 
In the case of the polio vaccine, it goes to parts of your body which cause paralysis, okay? I mean, I mean, it goes and settles in certain nerves, and when your cytokine response attacks that, your body is causing that damage. Does that make sense? Yes. So, so what I'm trying to say is, so in the case of Ebola, the surface protein goes to the endo arterial endothelial cells. In the case of, um, uh, in the case of Corona, it goes to the epithelial cells. So each of these, these vaccines, the proteins go to certain places. And if your body has a overreactive cytokine storm, overreactive cytokine storm, what will it do? Your body's attacking itself. So I don't, let me show you this. This is sort of important to notice when it comes, since you asked about measles, I'm gonna share you something right here. You'll see, this is a paper and I, I can send it to you guys. Uh, uh, that shows how many of uh, how many vitamin A effect on childhood infectious diseases. You see this? Yes, we see it. Me measles reduce mortality. Measles reduce morbidity. Okay, the, this is a role of vitamin A in not only in measles, diarrhea, acute pneumonia, malaria, enteric infection, mumps, and so on. Point being that the use of vaccines. We're not saying not to use it or to, you know, use it blindly, right? Point is that vitamin A, which is a natural hormone, when properly given, right, it's, it's an amazing thing to support the immune system so you don't have that cytokine storm. We just finished a paper for the City of Hope, okay, which, is a, which, is a, which funded us to do some research on when people get uh, transplants, okay? Let's say, God forbid, uh, someone needs a transplant of an organ. Well, what happens? The recipient uh, body starts attacking that organ, right? It's an immune response. So what do they try to do when you try to do organ transplant? They wanna modulate that immune response so your body doesn't attack that. Well, what's interesting is they found out people who drank green tea were having less uh, transplant rejection. They didn't understand why. Using our technology Cytosub, we've been actually able to identify particular chemicals in green tea, which modulate, you know, make it beautifully orchestrated, the immune response. So the issue is the immune response. That's what the real issue here is. So what I'm getting from this whole thing right now is that this virus is uh, not, there are people going to die, obviously older people, if we don't use our uh, infrastructure and use it properly and use our vitamins and all that stuff that you believe they should be doing but infrastructure but it's more than that it's the infrastructure look when SARS came out 1 billion people traveled today we have 4 billion people traveling right we have a much we're, we're becoming a smaller world right there is going to be more infections there's there is going to be more transfer of all different kinds of things this is the world we live in so we're moving to the 23rd century but our infrastructure is in the 20th century Massachusetts, for example, got an F minus minus <laughs> by American Society of Civil Engineers and Infrastructure, 123 points out of 350. Meanwhile, it got a D plus in corruption, which means one of the worst corrupt states and the worst and the top three worst infrastructures, the top 10 worst corruption. Meanwhile, MIT is here. How is that possible? This is because we have a bunch of leaders that we keep electing who don't understand systems, man. They don't understand the interconnected of systems. So if you know we're gonna start doing air travel everywhere, don't you think we should beef up the infrastructure of our systems to be able to handle from a system standpoint all the new kinds of things that we are gonna be taking place in this, you know, from an interaction standpoint. But we haven't done that. 
So we have immunocompromised people. We continue to do that. We think drugs are going to solve that. We have kids, uh, 54% of kids have autoimmune disorders. One out of five kids have a mental disorder. So we're creating an unhealthy population. And then we want to blame it on a virus. Come on. I do they think we're more. freaking stupid? A uh, doctor, you, uh, you put out a tweet a week ago or so that went viral. Um, and you're, you know, it's pretty hardcore. You were saying uh, what, what a, a lot of us believe, like this is some kind of um, uh, like the media is blowing it uh, way up. I mean, hyping the hysteria. And there's like some deep state element to it as well. Well, can you, you want to talk about that tweet or? Yeah. So I, I, I want to talk about that because when I define the deep state, right, I, I see it not in just some, you know, terminology that I mean, there's. I, I see it as something very real that's occurred to this country, probably starting around 1970. In 1970, what happened was uh, there was an amendment called the Mansfield Amendment. Um, at that time, you know, when the Vietnam War was going on, uh, a little piece of a very large military budget was dedicated to pure science, Eddie, uh, pure basic research, right? Now, that little piece of this huge military budget may seem fractionally small, but it was relatively massive in terms of money. So if you were a research at Princeton Advanced Institute or some AT&T labs, you got like money to go do some really cool research, Eddie, without any, without having to go beg for research. You follow what I'm chasing money, yes. yeah, writing yes. up stuff. So it was a, in some ways it was a very good era in research up until then. After 1970, when the Mansfield Amendment got passed, it basically said military research could not go to basic research unless it was for weaponry. So all that little money, which was a lot of the military, moved over to institutions that were politicized institutions like the NSF, NIH, et cetera. What that did, Eddie, was the really passionate, uh, honest scientists had to become not only a scientist, but a business person to survive in these big institutions like MIT, Harvard, et cetera. They had to bring in grant money. OK, they had to find good students. They had to go you know, strike deals with businesses, okay? That's why that Harvard professor who was arrested, he was quadruple, quintuple dipping. He got his salary from Harvard. He was bringing in 15 million grant money. Then he was striking deals with China to ship students here and there because he was part of their talents program. Two thirds of the professors in the major institutions are violating, doing criminal behavior right now under the aegis of it. They're doing collaborations and et cetera. My point is the scientists had to become an academic, which became, which is now the oldest profession in the world, because what they do is they chase skirt for money. Okay. Oh, you want me to say CO2 is a pollutant? Great. I'll say that. 40 million to MIT. Okay. Yeah. You want me to say that vaccines are the cure all? Great. You want me to keep my mouth shut? Great. I'll do that because they have been, they're in a business. They're in a freaking business, not doing science. So, when I talk about the three legs of the deep state, you have academia. And by the way, Senator Fulbright brought this up. He called it the military industrial academic complex. The next unit you have is the complete suffocation of academic discussion or discourse or free speech. OK, in the old days, people went into academia, Eddie, because it was a haven. You could do cool research and you could get away from all the politics. And that was called the path to tenure where you could really do research. Well, now they get rid of all the rabble rousers and you get all the automatons. Yeah. And science has moved. So you bring down free speech, you eliminate open discourse. You have people like Mark Zuckerberg and his wife 
who control Facebook, they own you know, vaccine institutions and they do all sorts of interesting mechanics so they can put it as an institute act of, like the Bill Gates Foundation, they're saving all the darkies in the world in Africa and India, right? That's a pitch that they do, it's a neo-missionary model. Seriously, that's what they're doing, okay? And as a part of that, what's happened is you move science away from the scientific method, which is a humble activity to scientific consensus. Okay, yeah, 97% say the sun goes around the earth. Yep, it does. If 97% say CO2 is a pollutant, yeah, it does. If 97% say we need vaccine mandates, yes. If 97% say Corona is gonna kill it, everyone follows that. You know why? Because they make money off of it. So you suppress freedom, you get fake science through scientific consensus, and, and because of that, now you create a fake problem and a fake solution promoted by the fake news media. And the end result is we fuck up our health. Excuse my language. OK, oh, we destroy you. the health not of, only of our body, our infrastructure. And now you have 500 pound overweight people. They're not they don't have the energy to go fight for freedom, truth, freedom and health all get suppressed. And so what I'm saying is that is what is going on. And the deep state I'm talking about, the coronavirus, man, is freaking awesome for them. Look what they do. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. They you have. Hong Kong was blowing up, right, freedom. I mean, I'm talking about the deep state at a deep level. I'm not yeah. talking about the Chinese government or Putin or the Indian government or the nationalist governments. I'm talking about there was a movement in, in, uh, China, in, in Hong, Kong. Hong Kong. There was a movement here in this country against, you know, medical free, for medical freedom. We want a major thing down in New Jersey five days before the coronavirus hit. And then you had a movement within China, in Wuhan, literally 180 days before where the people of China were going out to the streets and fighting for anti-pollution, okay? There was a huge incinerator plant that was supposed to be right in Wuhan. 10,000 people were out there. No one wants to talk about this. It's out there, were brutalized, and suddenly they disappear. So look at it, complete suffocation of dissent. You know, everyone's supposed to shut the hell up now. Oh, vaccines are the only truth, so you suffocate dissent. Second thing they've done is you've collapsed the economy. And third thing that you've done is, uh, what's the third thing I said? Dissent, uh, you, you've, you've taken out, you should, I forget the tweet, Freedom. you know? Um, but you've essentially attacked the economy. You've, you've basically uh, collapsed dissent. Go and down then you get tweet. rid of Trump, basically, at that point, right? Yeah. I mean, like, this is all you have at this thing, moment. The other thing is to really fundamentally take out, you know, a guy that was elected by the people, by working people who didn't want to, you know, have everything focused on, on, you know, stuff like transgender and gay issues. I have a lot of friends who are gay, right? But that's not, that doesn't affect 99% of the world. So the entire focus of the elites was these small issues which don't affect the majority of Americans, healthcare costs, manufacturing being taken away. So Trump came and addressed those issues. The globalists in the United States and externally did not want to even address this anymore. They were putting mon money in China. They were putting money all over the world. For America sure. was secondary to them at that point. I mean, doctor, if you take a look at what's going on, let's look at what's going on. Uh, a couple places have been exempt from the shutdown your business, right? Walmart, Amazon, uh, everybody is at, on, at the news is all showing up to work. They're all collecting checks. I mean, if it's so bad, how come everybody at MSNBC and, and, and CNN are at work right now? What about the homeless? And what about the fact that mm -hmm. they, they're having Super Tuesday today? And we have, a, we have a, uh, a candidate running for the DNC that is obviously senile, lost his mind against a guy. And listen, dude, I'm not a Bernie Sanders guy. 
I'm not at all. I think if Bernie Sanders made it up against Trump, he'd get the floor wiped. Well, uh, he'd get destroyed. But what we're seeing is a guy get kneecapped again. I think Bernie Sanders in on it because, you know, he's been a politician. Bernie Sanders for is part of the not so obvious establishment. Okay? I agree, man. So yeah. but but we have a guy uh, in Joe Biden that nobody has any faith in. And it's like, this is the guy they're going to try to get. He's number one. To, to uh, the general. Well, and then they're going to try to kneecap anybody who tries to take him out, too. It's so obvious what's going on right now. I got a question, doctor. Um, uh, back when the virus first hit and it was just in Wuhan, uh, the, the mainstream media, they weren't going crazy, that crazy over it. But like... The, on the underground, I don't know if it was fake or it was real, but there was a lot of videos being released that they're incinerating bodies and there's thousands of bodies that they're, they can't cremate them fast enough. Everyone's dying. People are just dying. All it, Were those, was that faked? I don't know, man. I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to know because I don't have the day. But what I can tell you, uh, for, you know, I've, I've, I started looking, you know, if you look at the SARS virus and the MERS virus, were supposed to be, you know, they're zoonotic viruses, right? They go from uh, a bat, right, to a, some intermediary. In the case of the SARS virus, it was a rat, rac uh, I think the dog raccoon. In the case of the MERS virus, it was a camel, and then it comes to a human. Now, what's interesting with this virus, and, and you know, they, and if you look at a virus, they're made up of nucleotide base sequences. This virus has about 1,500 base sequences, and I read some of those papers that people there's a, a there's a serious question on was did this take place through normal mutation okay or was it engineered in some way and this is an interesting question of people like Tom Cotton saying what came out of a Chinese lab there's other reports that I've studied which are very fascinating because and again these are all unverified because we can't get access to the data but it shows that there were four strains of the coronavirus so imagine like a branch of a tree four different strains and if you look at it the central branch was at Fort Detrick in the United States, okay, which is a biowarfare lab. So when I first heard about it, I said, wow, this is interesting. My first gut reaction was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, American nationalist, but did this come from the United States, okay? Um, because the, 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 some of the data shows that they still haven't found patient zero, right? Meaning who first got it, you know, if it came from a bat, who first got it, and then it spread to the other people. Out of around the first 41 people they found, 13 of the people, they don't even know where it came from. And that's why some people have asserted that it came from outside, okay? And the variety of the virus, the coronavirus apparently in Iran is a little bit different, and same the one in Italy. So it, you know, if you wanna take the approach, I mean, again, we don't have all the data. Tom Cotton says it came from the lab there, but the issue is, it could likely have been engineered. And what's interesting with this virus is, remember I said you have the big bubble and the virus sticks to it? Yes. Uh, I've said this from the beginning, is that it's clear this has a higher infectivity rate, right? But a lower mortality rate, right? SARS had, I think, 15%, MERS had 40%. This says, we don't know what it is because we don't fully know the denominator yet, but it's clear it infects faster, right? Which means that when they, it, or it or nature, whoever engineered that protein, it sticks better. That's what's called the infect, right? Because if it sticks better, it can take over the molecular machinery and you get infected. So it's clear that it has definitely a higher infectivity rate, a much higher infectivity rate. 
Um, so, you know, if you want to take the conspiracy theory, if, if I if you wanted me to conjecture that. So I look at it this way. You know what? We want to get this guy Trump out. OK, let's just um, this is a thought experiment. OK, um, you have Bill Maher openly so saying we need to take it. We need to where we we're willing to take a recession on the economy. That's he doesn't give a damn about anyone else. We need to we need a recession so bad to get rid of this guy. OK, now, broadly, the elites who control the ebbs and flows of the economy, they didn't hit Obama with it. Right. Yeah. Equally much worse virus. And remember, the point is the people in power can control the economy. They can decide crashes when they want with how they manipulate monetary policy. Well, they didn't do it to Obama. But when Trump comes in, they do it now. And that's why I call this bio media warfare. It's biology mixed with media and it's warfare on a sitting president, in my view. So if, if people want to argue with me on that, we can. But I see this as a way to take him out, take him out, meaning destroy his reputation and everything before the election. And I think what Trump's trying to do right now, he's trying to he's trying to bring back manufacturing, protect IP. He did the quantitative easing, which is a crack, crack attic model, okay. because he has no choice to hopefully keep this until the election. And that's what you have taking place. How much can we destroy the economy? So Trump goes out, and like you said, the corpse Biden gets in or Kamala Harris, which was always a plan of the Obamas. The Obamas love Kamala Harris and Biden. OK, that's been set. You know, families run uh, Washington, D.C., a good mentor have told me, you know, the Clintons, the Romneys, the yeah. Bushes, Obamas, you know, it's families who run Washington. So Obamas believe they should anoint who the king is and they want to anoint what I've heard is Kamala Harris and Biden. Okay. Yep. yep that, that's that coming. Now I got a question for you. Earlier you were talking about how uh, scientists had to become businessmen and you, you said, uh, Oh, you want me to say CO2 causes global warming? I'll say it, pay me. You want me to say vaccines are harmless and safe and effective? I'll say it. when you were saying that that's basically saying that there are scientists out there that'll give you corrupted information, right? Correct. So when you get yeah, information, it's, it's, basic, it's basically pay to play. It's look, look, Trump no, but, brought up fake news, you know, but the fake news behind fake news is fake science because the news guys, they just, you know, the way knowledge goes, remember you had the old scribes, they yeah. would write and then the news media would pick it up. The, yeah. You know, a 20 year old kid who's doing news, you know, works for MSNBC or CNN. He just wants to work so badly there at the New York Times. What does he do? He says, blah, 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 professor at blah, blah, blah institution said this, who wrote blah, blah, blah paper, right? Yeah. Well, the consumer who is removed from ever understanding that paper believes that. So the it's fake science. news leverages fake science. Yes. So, okay. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. So what you're saying is, uh, well, how how do we uh, know science is fake or not? Like like when you're giving um, all the data, you're talking about oh the data they, they, the data they got from Iran that strain is different from the data they got in this this country it's different and then they're saying like all this data. Like, yeah. is it possible at all that that data that's being passed around is also corrupted? Yeah. So, so Eddie, you ask a really good question. You know, when I built my platform and we've had this for years called Truth, Freedom and Health, I had to make it accessible in terms of policy. So the three ways that we get out of this are digital rights for everyone, Citizen Science Act and a Health Rights Act. Let me start with the citizen science people. What's happened with science? It was 
the establishment, if you if you believe sort of if you take a systems approach, if you believe there's power, profit and control over here and truth, freedom and health here, what are the inputs to the system which support power, profit and control? One of those principles is exclusivity, small set of people, opacity, secrecy, centralization. Okay, another feature, depersonalization, censorship. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. The, now, if you want to go to truth, freedom, and health, you have to do the opposite. Inclusivity. Bring as many people in as possible. You have to have uh, decentralization. You have to have tr full transparency. We have to recognize people are different. Personalization. And we have to have freedom. Okay? So these are inputs. Depending on which input you choose, you're going to get a different beast. So the way we solve science, you know how science works today, right? You apply for a grant, Eddie, and I give you $5 million to go research on cancer. You know what you're, you know what you're trying to do? You're trying to maximize th that $5 million. You want to get your grad students, and you know how you get tenure? You know how you get more money? How? You got to publish papers. You got to publish papers, and you want to make sure if you're competing with, with Sam, he doesn't publish those papers before you. So you hold on to your data. You say, it's my money, my data, et cetera. The solution that we, this is an old model. Science needs to move to citizen science. If I give you money, it's my, it's citizens' money. When you start doing experiments, supposedly you're doing some temperature ice core experiments, it should go up on the cloud, man. Everyone should have access to it. Can you even find any of the CO2 pollutant data? I can't. No one can find it. You know what? Most people know how to use a freaking spreadsheet today. There's a lot of smart people. We should move to a decentralized model of science. Let the scientists gather data. I pay you for that. Fine, you want to write papers, great. But you know what? This day you start collecting that data, just like we do, you know, I take a picture, it goes to iCloud, right? Well, there's no reason that data should not be public information and everyone in the collective can take that data and do research on it. Don't What's happened with the whole concept of peer review? You know, you write a paper. Oh, I published in a peer review paper. By the way, I've done that in Nature and Science, all the big journals. It's, it's, it's a big prestige, but the problem is, the entire peer review process keeps out any new ideas, okay? Einstein did not publish one paper peer review. His last paper he submitted, they said, we're gonna send it away for peer review. You know what, it, what he said? It was, give me back my paper. He goes, how can you do new research when your peers are reviewing when they don't want any outsiders coming in? The model is you do research, it should go right out, let people critique it openly. So we need to move to an open science, citizen science model. We need to break. You see, I grew up in a caste system, Eddie. I understand this in a very intimate way. The top of the caste system were known as the Brahmins, the priesthood, okay? The second layer below them were the kings, which you would call the academics of, uh, or the politicians. You know, the priesthood was the academics. And then you had the warriors, right? Today we have the soldiers who the politicians go to go fight a war. Below them, they fight a war for supposedly business people. And then you have the shudras, which were all the deplorables like my parents and I who should never made it here. But the academics are the guys behind, you know, the, the, the closed wall where they think they know all. Look at presidents may come and go, but their academics are always there. Anthony Fauci has been there in that NIH position since Reagan. Presidents come and go, Democrat and Republican, he's always there. Kissinger, Brzezinski, okay? The academics are always there. They have a job for life in many ways, tenure. It's an old feudal model. So what we have is we have a closed control of knowledge and information. That's a caste system. 
And the, that is the last vestiges of feudalism in the world that need to be busted up. And the way you bust it up is through citizen science. I fund you, it's not your data, MIT, it's not your data, Harvard, it's my data, it's people's data. It goes right up and we all can do research. So to your question, you know, when you look at climate change, <laughs> go look at the last IPCC report. There are 40 different predictions of how much ice will melt on the Arctic from 0% to 100% and all flavors in between. And when you look at those models, it's not even science, it's indeterminate. It's as I've said, it's, it's Newton predicting an apple will fall from the tree and he's saying, oh, one model, it'll, it'll fall two feet, it'll be suspended in air, three feet, four feet, it'll hit in the ground. It's not freaking science. Yep. yep. So I, what I'm trying to tell you is this may, what I'm trying to tell you is it may seem, oh my God, these are scientists. Well, I'm telling you. Are you, oh, wait a minute, are you idea. saying, are you saying Greta Thunberg doesn't know what she's talking about? <laughs> Come Do on, man. Doctor, so let's, she's, let's, she's let's got smart. a good gig, you know, she got statues built, she's, she's achieved her goal in life. So, so here we have this virus that out of nowhere has come, uh, it's happened in China, again, you <laughs> talked about the Hong Kong protests, the Wuhan protests. All gone. Uh, now we have, then we have the United States. People are waking up. We've seen all these different psyops being done. None of them are having effect. The, the minute the establishment puts out information, the internet pushes back even harder. People are really not buying into the same mind games. And now we have a president that, regardless of whatever you think of him, he's not business as usual. I don't know what, I, I, you know, there's things Trump does I like, and there's things he does I don't like. But I'll tell you, I'll take, uh, I'll take Trump over, I'll take a million Trumps over one Obama. I'll tell you that right now. So now we're in this election year, and we're getting to, uh, we're getting closer and closer. Do you think there? I mean, I think the answer is obvious, but I want to hear your point. Is this? basically weaponized hysteria to try to tank the economy to take out trump by these go globalists which you know i can get into more conspiracy stuff whether it's you know your amazing video about the the uh paris uh, uh climate accord uh we have we have free trade trade wars with china and you know these are two areas that you know trump has pulled out of which is probably going to cost these globalists billions if not trillions like do you think there is, this thing has whole been this whole thing has been weaponized to kind of get trump out of office well look I, you're i i think sam the issue is what did trump really represent it you know i never voted in my life ever when i think i mentioned to you when i was a young kid i saw this guy jesse jackson run uh, he was like sort of the bernie sanders of the time and I saw him sell out uh, all, the, uh, all of his votes and he gave it to Walter Mondale, just like Bernie Sanders did to Hillary Clinton. And that's when I woke up and I realized there's a not so obvious establishment, the establishment, and then people want change. What Trump did was he exposed both the obvious establishment of Hillary Clinton in that past election, the not so obvious establishment of Bernie Sanders, and in many ways he was reflecting change agents. So you always have these three three forces that are taking place. What's happening, I think the awakening that's happening is people are recognizing that people's movements, bottoms up, real people's, not Bernie Sanders bullshit revolution <laughs> stuff, right? He's not talking about that. He basically is using the words of revolution, but he wants to bring people back. He's already said he's gonna support the corpse, right, Biden. So he's yeah. not a change agent. He exists, the left and the right both have 
entities to to talk again, but bring people back into the establishment. You know, I think I may have shared, right? In India, they had Gandhi, right? People bottoms up wanted a good revolution to kick out the British. They parachuted in Gandhi, which basically continued the establishment's corruption for 70 years in wow. India until a guy like Modi came. So what Trump represented to them, he was a wild card. He came out of nowhere. If you remember, the reason I registered it for the first time and voted was I saw him on the debate stage. He was relentless, still going after the establishment Republicans and the Democrats, right? So I saw in him a guy who wasn't going to give up, right? He wasn't going to bend over, okay? And that's what's interesting about his phenomenon because I think he figured out certain things about some principles he stood for. And that's why I think what you use the word weaponization, you know, as you say people wake up, as they see the decrepit, de decrepitness, right, of the establishment that's taking place right now, uh, people are fighting up and, and those numbers are increasing. So what do you do? Well, the establishment, is, the swamp also doesn't uh, sit still, it too evolves, right? And their evolution is what we have today, in my opinion. What they have evolved it to, at minimum, if you don't believe in all the conspiracy, massive overreaction, minimum, massive fear mongering, right? You know, they love it because now you have a criteria to suppress dissent. You have, you, you're, they want to try to take control of the economy. So you have this going on in real time. And so it's fascinating to watch. And the issue is, will that stick? You know, they want that to stick like the infectivity of the coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. How about how about um, th that conspiracy theory? There's a bunch. But how about the one that uh, what really happened in Wuhan was they released 5G that fucked a lot of people up. They blame it on coronavirus that, and just as a distraction. But really, it was the 5G that's super dangerous. It's giving people flu like symptoms and it's it, they're going to roll it out everywhere. And, and we're, we're fucked. What do you think about that? Yeah, see, I, I haven't had a ch you know, I, you know, I am a double E. I just haven't had a chance to study this. It's so, you know, I can probably come back a month or so because I'm compiling yes. all the papers on this. You looking into 5G? Yeah, I mean, I don't have enough data. The 5G, you know, it has multiple frequencies, right? It can go across multiple frequencies and bandwidths. Um, I don't know, you know, of the health consequences exactly at the molecular level. Uh, I, I'm compiling a set of papers, so I'm not, you know, I don't feel fully competent to talk about that right now. Okay, I respect you know, I think that. I, I, I mean, I can, I mean, there seems to be some things. Is it something that, that fascinates you? Like you're, you want to get into it? You think yeah, that definitely. I mean, there's many, a link? Many years ago, um, when I was an undergrad at MIT, you know, uh, you, know I, I used, I, you know, I was brought up in a tradition, what's called meditation. And, uh, you know, in the Indian system of meditation, there is a thing in your body called the pineal gland, okay? It's, you know, in, in the Hindu tradition, they call it the third eye. Now, when you meditate, right, the pineal gland, you know, one theory is it releases melatonin. Now, some of the real recent research says that the pineal gland is actually piezoelectric. You know what piezoelectric is? It's a crystal. Um, there are different crystals in nature. So the pineal gland converts mechanical motion into electrical energy. So it has some very interesting properties. So uh, this was back in 86, there were some concerns, you know, those high tension wires, that was it affecting your sleep and your circadian rhythms, you know, if right. people living those high, because that's sending out a electromagnetic wave, right? An E&M wave, because was that affecting your pineal gland? Because a pineal gland 
is a central controller, many believe, and this is from a scientific fact, uh, from a scientific basis of your circadian rhythms, you know, when you sleep, when you wake up, et cetera. So, you know, at that time, you know, this, you know, I did some interesting research or under, trying to understand the correlation between ENM waves and the effect on the pineal gland. So these frequencies around us, um, if they're affecting us, we don't, you know, there's a whole bunch of parts parts of the human body that medicine doesn't even understand. We have like millions of particles of brain sand in our body, in our brains, small particles of magnets. Uh, we have the pineal gland. The fascia in our body appears to be made up of piezoelectric crystals. There's a whole nother way of looking at the body that I don't think we fully appreciate beyond the muscles and the nerves and the things we know. So how these things affect us could be quite significant. Um, but I think there's a different um, non-Newtonian model of the body uh, that's going to emerge. Would you that, say that the five the 5G scare is, uh, you know, that there's, you know, there's that uh, community that really is uh, totally against 5G. You think that's fear mongering? You think that they're fooled? They're just... Uh, well, it, yeah, yeah, that's a good question. You know, that's an interesting question, right? What is fear mongering, right? Um, I think fear mongering uh, comes when you can move masses of people uh, to not to keep away from each other, not, you know, not even talk to each other. And, you, and everyone's in their homes and the stock market tanks. And I mean, it depends on who controls. I think it's a spectrum. So you could perhaps say that. But I think some of these are questions, right? There's one thing that's a question and another thing that's an assertion. And I think when you look at something like, you know, viruses and this sort of knowledge that this definitely occurs this way, I would say that is no longer we're questioning anything. There's consensus. I think with the 5G thing, some open questions there. I think if I think if the people want to talk about 5G, I think it should be um, an invitation to have a discussion about this. I think if you sort of take this blatant position without any data fully, um, I think you know that that has the same issues on the other you know as the other guys do. Uh, doctor, I want to ask you about your opinion on Bill Gates. This event two hundred one, you know, uh, if you go to event two hundred one, look it up, you'll find like it's almost they they kind of were all kind of um, talking about this event even using the coronavirus as the event, uh, the way it plays out. If you have to go event, if you go to event 201, the event 201 scenario, it plays out exactly the way they want. We have, you know, Bill Gates has been going on a tour talking about, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, an outbreak's going to kill 65 million. Uh, I mean, here in this scenario, it is 65 million. What is your take on, uh, on, uh, Bill Gates in this event 201? Well, uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where, where to start with this, okay? Um, first thing is, you know, the Gates Foundation, uh, to me, I consider them like the neo-missionaries. Uh, first of all, Bill Gates, if you go back to his history, didn't create DOS, you know, the first the disk operating system. Um, it was actually done by someone else he bought it and then resold it, okay? So, but then the narrative was that this genius guy created uh, DOS, et cetera. So you have a history there of uh, a person who wants to really uh, expand his, um, who he is, right? In fact, he said, you know, I need to get a publicist. He said this a number of times. 
And there's a movie that just came about him trying to position him as, you know, the um, essentially the savior to mankind in some way that he's going to bring all these solutions out. So when you look at the Gates Foundation overall, uh, I think he himself had about a half a million uh, shares and in investment in Monsanto. The theory is that, you know, these set of people over here, I'm talking about Africa, right? They need his help. These set of people in India need his help, right? And that he's going to bring that help to them. Now, that's a very, very globalist model, meaning that from outside in, you're going to tell people what to do, that people are not smart enough to figure out things for themselves. So if you look in Africa, for example, the biodiversity that Africa had was quite amazing, right, in terms of biodiversity of grains, foods they ate. The U.S. policy, the agriculture policy, or the overall policy of the deep state has been, you know, if you want to control a country, you control their oil, but if you want to control people, you control their soil, okay? This has been, I think it was Kissinger or someone who enunciated this. So if you think about it, I look at things as systems, right? You have the operating system like iOS or DOS, and above that you build apps. If you control the soil of a people, you control everything above that. So what's happened in Africa is that's what we've done, right? We showed people of bloated babies, right? Forgetting that people lived pretty well before we came. Okay? Yes, right. <laughs> right? And we promoted this concept and we've reduced their biodiversity of grains to what corn, wheat, and a few things. I mean, they had hundreds of different grains, uh, genetically engineered pesticides, et cetera, because one of the deep state's biggest exports is not is actually agri is soil agriculture controlling the OS of these company of these countries. So Bill Gates is a part of that, right? He's a very big part of that, which means and if you really talk to people who go to Africa, these foundations they set up, they're basically clearing it away. They don't they don't care about the Africans to help them with malaria. They want to see this as their, you know, next frontier to go to when things go to hell elsewhere. OK, yes. it's like the Wild West for them. New Zealand, right? Don't they like New Zealand too? What's that? Don't they like New Zealand too? Yeah, a lot New of Zealand them are they like, but Africa has a lot more land, you know? New Ze you know, Africa has a lot more land. You can get to it also sooner. What Tremendous about Tremendous amounts of wealth in minerals, right? Richness of soil, etc. It's 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 the next big frontier. Uh, a, a guy that I know, you know, very wealthy guy would take his Boeing 747 there. You know, bought a lot, you know, to buy a lot of land, part of one of these big foundations. And he had all of his soldiers who protect his 747 where he went there and he did business. So you have a lot of people, a lot of wealthy deep staters who are using Africa as their next frontier, probably their, you know, next play. And Bill, that's what the Gates Foundation is really about. Now, as a part of that, they do some, quote unquote, good things, right? Oh, we give malaria nets to these people. Well, they take the malaria nets and they're actually using it to fish. You know, and they're actually putting all the <laughs> chemicals into the ponds, right? So it's this outside-in solution. Um, his former partner, Paul Allen, for example, you know, when I was out in the West Coast, he had some venture firm there. And one of his guys was saying, I said, what do you guys do at the firm? They go, oh, we've created some amazing technology that uses lasers to bring down mosquitoes. So <laughs> what I'm saying is they're taking bazookas to hit and now, because they think that'll flip them a company that they'll make. Bottom line is you have people coming in with missionary ideas, neo-missionary ideas, as though these people know nothing about how to take care of themselves, that they need their outside 
support. But that's all just front end. The real issue is domination of these economies, suppression of the indigenous populations of these people. So it's total, you know, this conquering mentality. And yet it's put into this framework. I'm helping the world. Am I not a great guy? I feed people, et cetera. Um, yeah, on top of that, doesn't doesn't isn't he part of a company that owns a patent on the coronavirus? So here we have a guy who funded the Perbright Institute, yes, right? Yes, and yes. Which which owns a patent. Now, when I put that out, a lot of very stupid people said, "Oh, the coronavirus is this is not the coronavirus is a class of viruses." Well, look, you have to be sort of an idiot. You know, it's like once you learn the patent for a car, you can build a lot of cars, right? Very different than a uh, very different than building a airplane. Okay, the coronavirus has a certain structural property. Once you understand how to do that, you, you're pretty close to owning patents on other things because you've sort of owned a, an area. An in umbrella of it. Yeah, because in patent law, you try to get broad coverage for certain areas, but more importantly. By doing that process, you get a lot of IP and trade secret knowledge. So, you know, either people don't know how patents work or they don't know how intellectual property works. But yeah, so you had, you know, them funding Perbright. And after I put that out, the Perbright Institute immediately put out a press release saying, oh, this is different than the others. Well, it may be different, but you're not talking about, you know, phages or bacteria. You're in pretty in the neighborhood of things that you've built a pretty good IP understanding about. Uh, we see, you know, within the podcasting world, we've seen a lot where these patent vultures create this very vague patent. Yeah. And then they tried to sue everybody that was doing podcasting. That's So you don't go down to, you know, like, I'm not going to patent a red shirt with yellow and black writing. I'm going to try to patent a broad definition of shirts so I can try to catch as many fish trying to violate my patent. That's the same thing with this. And the reason you patent a, a virus, because it's not that you want to own the virus. You actually want to own, if someone cures it, you get a percentage of that vaccine. Am I right, doctor, that you Depends own? Depends on how, the, how, how they do the licensing. But look, you're bringing up something interesting. Thank you. In, in this area right. of, if it's corona, but right. in this area of intellectual property ownership, okay? Yeah. Um, and, and that's this. What's happened is, um, if you guys want to talk about this, you know, yes. this is very interesting because this comes back to this issue of the kind of leadership we have in places like Washington, where 60 percent are lawyer lobbyists. We're entering into a world, right, where we deal with very complex systems. We deal with new emerging technologies. And then we have lawmakers who know nothing about them. So how do they come to decide what to do? Well, they're told by other people and those people are lobbyists. Now, this is a very different world than what the founders of this country created. If you look at someone like um, uh, Washington and Jefferson and all these guys, you know, they studied physics. They were children of the Enlightenment. I mean, Washington knew what sine and cosine and tangent were, right? Because he was a surveyor. Franklin knew a whole bunch of things from printing to how electrical things worked and chemistry, et cetera. These people are very learned people. And one of the things, you know, if you look at the Senate versus the House of Representatives, the House of Representatives was supposed to take people's ideas to Congress. However, senators were supposed to bring ideas to people. They were supposed to be statesmen and leaders, which means they were supposed to have some skills, particularly them. And so when you look at when Zuckerberg, for example, was sitting there with these 
Congress people, they don't know what questions even ask him. Yeah, right. Right. So, so in 1970, you know, to me, this is a little bit personal because in 1978, when I was wrote the first email system in the world, there was no concept of intellectual property protection for software. People didn't even know what software was. They thought you were writing, you know, some typewritten work. So there was no protection. You know, musicians have protection on music. There was no protection for software. In 1980, the Copyright Act of 1976 was amended to become the Computer Act of 1980, which I didn't know about until I went to MIT. And the president of MIT said, hey, you can't patent software because the Supreme Court in 1994 didn't understand what that software could yes. be patentable. They, they didn't accept it. So I had to copyright it. But copywriting only pr protected that literal work, not the ideas. But in 1994, I patented other things. The reason I bring this up is when you talk about patent trolls, Google and Facebook want to annihilate any kind of patents. Let me explain. The founders of this country created patents to support young innovators. And the patent laws were created in such a way that you could monetize that. That's why we produce trillion, you know, uh, 33,000 businesses came out of MIT. And still to this day, they create 1.2 trillion in annual value to GDP. That's what innovation does. I'm talking about real innovation from the guy like me working at Newark, you know, or, or, or a kid like Philo Farnsworth who created the first TV in their small garages. What Google and Facebook want to do right now is they want to eliminate patent law, okay? They want to eliminate patents and, and they're using the trolls saying, oh, look, these trolls are doing this and they want to make it trade secrets, which means they could own anything. But we really, one of the important areas that's a big threat to this country is if we don't have proper intellectual property protection for the small innovators, which are really the lifeblood of this economy. And if the politicians in Congress who are numbskulls who don't actually understand this because they don't know how to create the right laws for 3D printing. You know, in 1980, if they had, in 1994, finally, 14 years later, they said, oh, software is a digital machine. Well, that 14 year old kid in 1978 would be a gazillionaire and probably giving back to Newark. You see what I'm saying? I do. So they, they, they diminish, I mean, I've given back in other ways. My point is, you have people in politics who know nothing about engineering, nothing about science, nothing about systems, and that's why we get bamboozled. That's why we have fear mongering with things like coronavirus, because no one is there to really advise a president, you know, even on the Republican side. They're like, uh, they don't know what the hell to tell him. Right. Right. No one is saying, you know what, Mr. President, that's great. You're quarantining people. Let's use this as an occasion to have a big discussion on health. You know, let's really start. Why don't every American right now should be their vitamin A level should be tested. That's the first thing I do. You want to go start testing people, test people's vitamin A levels because it's the first thing. It's the first immediate layering. You know, a friend of mine, Robbie, says when you go out, you know, and it's cold, what do you do? You put on your thermal, you put on layers, right? Right. So if you want to protect the immune system, start putting on some layers. But we're not doing that. I got a and question. It's unfortunate. I got a question. As far as um, the coronavirus testing, uh, there's a lot of different stories. You know, you hear that, uh, you know, there's a lot of false positives or whatever. Like, how does the test work? Isn't this a brand new virus or has this virus been around for a long time? Yeah. So, so what happens is in these diagnostic tests, right? So remember the, the, the nucleic acid of that virus has a certain um, RNA sequence, right? So what they're trying to do is they're trying to, first of all, you have to use what's called reagents, right? 
which are things that cut and slice things up. Think about you take a scissor and you're cutting these things up and then you're getting components and then you're trying to match that thing up to an RNA sequence that you believe is in that virus, okay? It's not an easy thing to do, Eddie. So you, it's it's not a perfect thing because it's what's it, they're using statistics. So these sequences have certain patterns, and it's not like one to one. It's a perfect match. Wait so a you minute. Can get so they're not actually. I, I was under the assumption that they're looking through some kind of electron microscope or something. They're looking at these viruses and they go, "Oh, yep, we you tested positive. We can see the virus." It's not like that. No, 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 no. So, so they are, so, you know, depending on which tests they're running, but what I'm saying is it goes through a chemical process and they have to do this analysis to find out is a virus base sequences, what they're actually seeing. Now that the way that they see this could be, you know, done through a, a process of, you know, nucleotide analysis. That's what they're doing. It could be, um, how using, accurate do you think these tests are? Well, that's what I'm saying is statistical. Okay. There's a statistics that they're doing. So they're not so, actually detecting the virus. They're going, they're... They're finding they're, pieces of the base sequences, okay? Is that, so is that how they did, a, uh, is that how they did HIV too? Like HIV, didn't they, <laughs> they didn't actually see the HIV virus. They, well, they, yeah, I mean, if they you were want like, to get into HIV, Jesus. I mean, is it something oh, like, oh, oh, I mean, oh, let me, like, I, I'm, I'm confused here. So they're not actually looking at the virus? Can you see a virus through an electron microscope? Well, can you, well, see you can you can yeah. see the virus, right? Okay, okay. But what I'm saying is in in the in these cases, remember, it's um, so for example, when they do the swab, right? Yeah. It depends on the stage of the disease, right? If it's way down in the lungs, it may not even come up here, right? Uh, in the sputum, right? That's why they have people either swab or they have them spit out because it depends on where the mu mucosa. If it's way down in the lungs, someone could have it but you may not know it because the incubation there's an incubation period for this. So what I'm trying to say is these diagnostic tests are not perfect. You could have false positive as well as false negatives taking place. So they actually have to look for certain symptoms. What are the and odds what are the odds of Pope got got the crone? Isn't that crazy? Isn't he like insulated? And then you hear about the queen, the queen and for fear of corona, she's taken off. She's leaving the castle. You would think that would be the, the safest place ever. Yeah. That castle. It doesn't make sense. Why are you leaving the castle? I'm sure her bedroom is insane. Just stay there. All the famous people. Why have why is she leaving that? Get back in the castle, right? <laughs> I have a bunch of scumbags in here, a bunch of scumbag friends. None of them have it, but yeah, you can just like all the all the famous people are getting it. Yeah, and seven priests in the Vatican but that died like of it. Tom Hanks, all what? these people. What are the odds? God. Look at Tom. doctors just staring at what? doctor. Here's what I want to do. <laughs> what I would like to do. Yeah, thank you, dude. I want to ask you right now if I if I put you on CNN and you were gonna sit there. With Anderson Cooper, and he goes, what do you want to tell the people? What would you like them to know? You could look, you could go right on CNN and tell them about the coronavirus. And, and you were on your deathbed. No, 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 you're not. <laughs> yeah, you're on your deathbed. You have no living family members left. They can't go out. You have no, you're the last one. You're on your deathbed. <laughs> Anderson Cooper's interviewing you. What this would you tell a, the world? This is a scenario, dude. I would say, how did I, how did I get here? <laughs> you got Corona. How did I get here with this guy? <laughs> Why are you here, gay android? Go away. I'm dying. Okay. But uh, It's the same message, right? Let's talk about health. Let's talk about health. You know, this, 
this is a great time for, you know, talking about mass, you know, destruction when it's really about mass distraction. Okay. That's what this is about. The elites are very, very, look, fascism creeps in very interesting ways. Okay. You could hit people with what we're seeing is a way to uh, control people and we have to be extremely vigilant. So the issue is, okay, government, you care about my health. Let's freaking talk about health. That's the message. You really care about my health. Let's have a real discussion about health because you claim you care about my health, right? I think that's what we need to come to, Eddie and, and Sam. If you really care about health, let's have a deep discussion about health. That's what I would say. Fine. You want to talk about coronavirus. People are learning about immune system. People are learning about diagnostic tests. People are learning about glycoproteins. That's all great. Let's talk about obesity. Let's talk about lupus. Let's talk about all the different autoimmune diseases that have shown up in this country. And where did they come from? Let's talk about the microbiome. How do you strengthen it? I think this is a time to have a systems discussion about health and all the systemic things that are hurting the health of this country. Physical health. I mean, what the hell does it matter to have all this stuff if you're unhealthy? Think about it. I mean, I, I was on a plane going to this NSF meeting. It was fascinating. Next to me sat a woman who does marketing for one of the biggest pharma companies in the world. And, you know, and I started talking to her. And she was all into organic food and blah, blah, blah. And I go, what do you do? She goes, well, I do marketing for a major drug. I go, what do you feel about that? She goes, Shiva, I feel horrible. She goes, it's awful, you know, that we have to give drugs and it's not the way to do it. The whole system's screwed up. And she goes, but Shiva, I feel I'm doing something important. I go, why? She goes, Shiva, the people that I'm helping are people of 500 to 600 pounds overweight. They're so freaking far gone, right? So he goes, I give them this pill which stops them from eating. So what I'm trying to say is if we step back and we really look at it, the modern medical system was created for wartime medicine when things got so effed up, you know, you got your head blown off, your arm blown off, you wanted to connect it back, right? That's where the Western medical system came from. In the Crimean War, there was a woman called Florence Nightingale. She wasn't just a nurse. She noticed that soldiers were dying, not on the battlefield, but after they came into the hospital because the hospital was just filth and filth and filth and feces. Two words, filth and feces was a hospital. So she cleaned it up. She wanted to make it a place where would be a place for clinical research. And that's what Florence Nightingale contributed. She contributed to the modern healthcare system, which was about putting a soldier back on the field. Okay, so the modern medical system waits until you're totally screwed up. I also studied the Indian system of medicine for my grandmother. You know, in the Indian system of medicine, there are six stages of any disease. You have the early stage, the secondary stage, third stage, fourth. Now, by the time you're totally screwed up as a fifth and sixth stage, that's where we Western medicine deals with after you're totally effed up. Okay, Uh. pharmaceuticals, we got to do chemo. We got to cut that leg off. That's where they're at. We don't detect all this other stuff early on. That's preventative medicine. So we have a medical system that's based on wartime medicine. That's what we have. So it's time we have a discussion about real health, not health care, not insurance, but health. And that's what I would tell Anderson Cooper, Cooper or the president. And I think Trump is in a good position to do this if he wants to. That's what we should have. How do we increase the immune health? Let's talk about systems. Let's talk about systems health, okay. not just Vaccines today, okay, what are we gonna do? Reactionary running around like nuts. So we're doing, and that happens when you have 60% of the governance of this country owned by lawyers and lobbyists. There's a great piece of work done by a guy called uh, Andrew Bonica, and what he shows 
is that if you look, if you're on the X axis, you look at a country and the percentage of that country that has lawyers in governance, okay? This axis. And then you draw another axis on income inequality. You know what you find? You get a straight line. The United States is way on the upper right. High 60% lawyers in governance, yep. high income inequality. Yep. Percent of lawyers in governance and the percent of people incarcerated. U.S. is way out here, Argentina second. This lawyer lobbyist class was the aristocracy. When, yep. when they lost the war in 1776, they created a, a new nobility title called Esquire, which was one level above gentleman and one layer below knight. And according to the 13th Amendment, one, the one that was ratified in Virginia, we were not supposed to have lawyers in governance. And think about what lawyers do. They don't work in the nuts and bolts. Uh, Eddie, I understand you're a martial arts guy, right? I work in physics, you know, nurses work in reality. We work in the nuts and bolts. Lawyers work in an abstract world of moving around words, yep. writing contracts, thinking about how to screw someone over, right? <laughs> yep. it's, it's a fictitious world. They live in a virtual world. And those people are the ones who, can, them and bankers, are the ones that we've outsourced our reality to not to people who actually solve problems. And that's the future. The opportunity here for every person listening to this podcast is that you need to take control for your life. You need to figure out what you're putting inside yourself, outside of you, and what the freak is in your water, your air, and your food. And who are you electing? Why are you electing lawyer lobbyists? Why? You know, an athlete decides to run. A celebrity decides to run. Well, what the fuck does that mean? Excuse yeah, it my makes mind. no sense, dude. It makes so, look at them well, when they try to rap. They try. You had an athlete <laughs> try to put out a. Oh, he starts becoming a rapper. The CD sucks. Why do you think that they? Because they succeeded in one thing, it automatically exactly. transfers into another thing. I, look, I, when I was out in Hollywood. One of the things I noticed, right? was there were celebrities and then there were actors. Very few actors. Acting is an amazing craft. You know, doing great comedy is an amazing craft. Do, you know, building this, you know, Steve Jobs was a perfectionist. People who are really great artists, you know, they really value what they do. That's where the individual and the product of their labor are united because they're doing it for deeply spiritual reasons. And then you have the disunity of that, which is, P being a lawyer, what the, what the freak is a lawyer? Think about it. What is a banker? These are not even jobs. Everyone should learn the law. You shouldn't even have to get a degree to practice law. Lincoln didn't have a degree. So we have people who are actually doing productive work and another strata of people who don't do any work. Adam Smith talked about it. I mean, even Marx talked about it. No one really studies Marx. If you read the first chapter of Das Kapital, what Marx actually talked about was a dysfunction of the individual who wanted to pursue his dreams and the intervention of that by the state. And Adam Smith talked about that. But that's not what Marxist or Bernie Sanders talks about. He wants to support lumpen proletariats, the lumpens who don't do any work, not the people who actually produce stuff. So we live in this world where there are people who actually understand plumbing, understand electricity, understand what it takes to make something. And we have a bunch of scumbags who know nothing about that. And we keep electing them. And that's why you end up with fear mongering and crises like this, because it's the people's faults who are doing this. And because they think this is what they this is what they should, you know, this is a standards that they should, you know, agree to. It's like eating crap all day, right? Then one day you had an amazing food. You go, wow, I didn't know vegetables tasted like that. Yeah. Right. Mm. So that's what we have. We've lowered our standards. And the opportunity of this entire crisis 
is for people to really reflect, hey, why am I not voting for a guy like that guy over there? He came from Newark, he worked his butt off, he got four degrees from MIT and he works for a living and he actually has problems. Why am I voting for these three lawyers and these three scumbags? This is a question that needs to be asked. And that's what the elites don't want to ask. Hillary Clinton, lawyer. Romney, lawyer, right? Bill Well, lawyer. Go down the list. Trump, he actually built stuff. You may not agree with him, but I know what it takes to do a service business and to treat customers well. You got to have your shit together. These people don't serve anyone. I agree. I got a question. The, the Chinese claim to have landed a rover on the dark side of the moon about a year ago. I heard about this, yeah. Do you believe that? I don't know, man. The Chinese... You don't know? You don't trust them? No, no. Uh, well, look at this. <laughs> I, when, I first, when I first came to MIT in 83, um, I worked with... There's a Chinese researcher who came. Very nice guy. Very sweet man. Really smart. They have a lot of smart people, man. These people went through hell. And they are very resilient people, you know? The the Chinese Communist Party treats their people like dirt, okay? They have cancer cities, right? But... I'll t also tell you this, many Chinese want clean air, they want clean food. Huge influx of Indian yoga teachers who go to China. People want to be healthy. Since 2007 in China, the people in China have been fighting against these mass incinerator plants that the Chinese government has tried to build because of the a massive amount of garbage buildup in China, they have to start burning stuff. So I, I think people should understand, it's not like the Chinese people are bad people. They want the same things that, you know, we all breathe the same air, et cetera. They want the same things. But the reality is that that's very different than the Chinese Communist Party, which is a crony capitalist party, right? Yep. They abuse their people. They take advantage of them. You know, no different than the elites in this country do. So the answer is you don't believe they went to the moon, right? <laughs> Let me ask you Come something. Come on. No, no, I, watch no, the video. I, I think, it's on YouTube. It's hilarious. Uh, no, I think, no I, I think they may have. I, I'm not saying they haven't. I mean, his oh, they may have. They may have. Doctor. They may have because, you know, they're trying to, you know, in Ch some ways the Chinese are trying to leapfrog American America, research. Yeah. In some ways, they, in, in some bad ways, they have 200, I think they have one camera for every four people in China right now reading lips. You know, they have... I think 200 million cameras in China. It's quite extraordinary uh, what they can do. To, that's why I find it pretty weird that they can't find patient zero. They have cameras everywhere, Eddie. You can't find patient zero? So, Doc, let me ask you something. Let's end it. We got to end it here because I got to get back to some uh, babies. Um, <laughs> we're here today. Today's St. Paddy's Day. Happy St. Paddy's Day, everybody. Where do you see... The coronavirus uh, in a week from now, two weeks from now. Not, you know, we're not putting your, your your feet to the flame. But if you had to guesstimate, you know, your gut feeling, where do you see everything in 15, 15 days, or seven days, 14 days, 21 days? Guesstimation. Well, first of all, the people that are dying that they're saying dying correlated to the coronavirus. Okay, they say, okay, this guy died. It was because of the coronavirus, okay? That assertion has not even been proven through what's called Cox postulates. Uh, there's, if you wanna show A causes B in science, it has to fulfill something called Cox postulates. So what I'm trying to say, someone has the virus, okay? That doesn't mean that caused their death. Okay, I just want to make that clear, okay? 
Right. It could have been a number of other things. The flu, they had, you know, they were smokers, et cetera, right? Just because A has B, you have to prove a set of hypotheses to show that, okay? So what I see happening, you know, my trajectory is it all comes down to a, a friend of mine's a very interesting, uh, smart economist, and he says, if you look at the economy, it's gonna come down to three things. It's gonna come down to demand, the inventory, and the production. What that means is, how are consumer sentiments to you know, demand on goods? If the demand is high and we, and we don't have enough production, which means inventory will go down, and then when consumer sentiment becomes better, let's say it gets warm, more vitamin D, people feel better, about themselves, less fear mongering, you're gonna pick up, uh, uh, the production will pick up not only to fill in the depleted production, but also the inventory and you'll have a surge. This is fundamentally, Eddie, gonna come down to how people feel, consumer sentiment, okay? And, and the economists know this and the elites know this, okay? It is consumer sentiment. You know, if you take it from a spiritual perspective, it's how you feel, right, about the future, how you feel about yourself. Now, if you are socially distancing, I'm not saying go next to someone who's coughing on you, but you've created an environment where everyone's scared, that's gonna affect consumer sentiment, right? That's gonna affect the economy. So it, it really depends on that. And part of doing a program like this is to educate people so they get the context of this. So I guess what I'm trying to say, the key ingredient is gonna be how people start to feel about this situation itself and their relationship with it. If we keep scaring the shit out of people, I can tell you that it's gonna affect the economy and it's probably gonna affect people's health even more because people aren't gonna do the right things to take care of their bodies. But right now, the number of deaths is relatively low. The, uh, so I actually see th uh, things pretty positive for people, uh, particularly because when I start looking at the tweets we've done, the videos we start sharing, people are actually at least getting educated and they're realizing that I can have some impact on this. It's not the government going to control everything that I do. Um, I, have, I have a question. Go on, Eddie. Um, it, this is kind of personal. In regards to uh, fornicating, is wearing a condom enough? Is it, or do we have to wear the face mask too? Should we? I, condoms I, fine. What do we wear two condoms? Coming out. I actually heard there's lingerie now coming out with the face masks. Is doggy style preferred during these times? Yeah, definitely. I don't know. Maybe we, we should, should push doggy style. Push it out. Uh, Eddie, right, Eddie. That's a serious question. Uh, doctor. Dr. Shiva, you're the best. We appreciate you. Uh, you can you can answer the doggy style one, or you could just hold off till you do more research because you're collecting the data. We don't know. We don't want you to talk about anything you don't have the answer to right now. <laughs> collect got, that data. Collect the data, doctor. Please you share it too. <laughs> share the data. Share the data. <laughs> uh, doctor, again, tell them where you'd like our listeners, the swarm, to go so we can support you and what you're doing because you're doing the Lord's work. Yeah, so people should give lots of money, all their money, to ShivaForSenate.com. Okay, whatever money you have left. <laughs> Dried up to help <laughs> out, man. Investment. No, seriously, you can go to ShivaForSenate.com, S-H-I-B-A. Uh, By the way, Eddie, click on that thing that says, uh, I mean, Eddie, or click on that thing that says donate. Donate. Right? donate. donate. Click Everybody going to make a donate? Yeah, what I want to show you is, right there, stop right there. One of the things that... I, you know, it, I hate at getting money for nothing. So 
There's a really cool book I wrote called System and Revolution. It really explains what are systems. It teaches you basically like four years of an MIT control systems course, and I make it very accessible because I want really people to understand systems because if people understand systems and the principles of all systems, it's a way to liberate yourself. And then I also create, you know, I still write code and software. I created a tool called Your Body, Your System, if you go to it. And I basically teach people how they can use these principles to understand how the mechanics of their body and how food and supplements uh, are inputs into a system. And, and it's a way to understand the body is a system. And that's something I give to people. It's uh, So, you know, people give 25 bucks, say, get that. But it's, it's well worth it. But more importantly, you know, our campaign Achieve a Percentage is really about liberating people so they can stand up on their own two feet and learn how to think for themselves about complex systems. We live in a world of systems. It is no longer a world of you can outsource, you know, what you want, you know, how you want to think about it to other people because you have, if, and, and systems thinking, in my view, is really a way for people to understand all different kinds of systems. It's really a way for them to understand uh, fake news, uh, from real news and it gets back to what you asked about eddie right how do you tell well you need to have a framework systems thinking is a way to do that it's a it's a way of understanding science that came out in the 1930s in the united states but it dates back to thousands of years from traditional systems of medicine so it's it's a bridge into the east and west science and tradition ancient and modern so shiva for senate.com that's where people should go. Okay, one more question. It's a, it's a yes or no. I don't. I, I don't want you to. You don't. You don't need to get deep into it. But are you a hundred percent sure we landed on the moon? <laughs> yes or no? Are you a hundred percent sure we landed on the moon? Hundred percent. Eddie Bravo. No. Bravo. The answer is no. Okay. Great. That's all. That's, That's all. The best. That's all. That's why you gotta vote for Hell him in yeah. Massachusetts. Shiva. 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 Oh damn. Yeah. I'm gonna move to Boston just to vote for you, <laughs> Doctor Shiva. Hey, you should come here. All you guys should come here for the next six months. Yeah, dude. We'll come oh, yeah. live with you two weeks, and he's like, get out, get out. So we have a building. You guys can stay there, not in my house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, Doctor Shiva. Thank you so much, Eddie. Thank you. Thank you. XG, Johnny, the, the, the monkey gallery in the back. Thank you guys for hanging out. We appreciate you guys. Uh, this is going to be going out immediately, and uh, we just really appreciate the support. And, Doctor, anytime, we always appreciate you coming on, and uh, you're, the door is always I, I, open. I got a question. So are you both, you guys, comedians too? Uh, yeah, all three. Everybody in the room is pretty much a comic. Yeah, XG. Uh, is are well. you guys martial arts guys too, everyone? Uh, well, he is, a, he is the master of jujitsu. I am... I've taken three weeks of Krav Maga, so the answer is yes. We're all trained and killers. Eddie, where did you learn? How long have you been doing it? I've been doing it about 25 years. Oh, where did you learn? From, Jean, from Jean-Jacques Machado. He's uh, uh, Him and his brothers are cousins of the Gracies, and they're the ones who really uh, blew it up through the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship. So, yeah, my, my instructor, he's a, he's a legend, living legend. Jean-Jacques Machado still teaches in Tarzana. That's the man right there. Oh, do you still compete and all? No, I do. I'm I'm 50 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm done. I just uh, I just teach. That's it. I see. And tell dick jokes. Yeah. Well, we're gonna come. <laughs> hey, man, we're gonna come to the Boston area to be doing shows, and we might oh, have to yeah. do a po live podcast. Oh, you gotta come you, out. Doctor. You gotta come out. 
You have to, might have to come out, do five minutes of material. Well, well you know, we, we, we should have you guys out here because on the ground, we're raising uh, a lot of awareness. The way to win our election, it's Massachusetts is typically, the, the, even the Republicans here um, are basically establishment. Basically, any the, the rhinos have taken over the whole establishment and the Democrats are also part of it. But what's happening is we have this groundswell from below. And we want to eviscerate both parties. I'm running as an R to hijack the Republican Party, frankly. I love okay? it. From what we did last year, the Trumpers like us, but nearly 60% of our campaign is women now. Because of the vaccine issue, all these mothers have come, right? And yeah. these aren't like, these are like really good looking women too. They're not like really <laughs> wacky looking women. I'm being serious. Yeah, I'm with you, brother. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. You know how you have those wacky looking yeah. Whatever. These are actually very <laughs> rounded women. I'm being serious. No, I, listen, it's important. Women, their mothers, and who really like the position we took on the vaccine issue on freedom, and they're warriors. So we have that group of people. We have the center of Massachusetts, which is all working class people. And the western part of Massachusetts is some of your new age narcissist freaks and some other people actually looking for truth. So if we can split that, we can get central mass, which I know we'll get. But if we have other people, I'm telling you, this election is not a Massachusetts election because I'm running. We have so much support from outside. We got to view it as a national election. Winning in Massachusetts will be like taking a big freaking stake and stabbing it down their throats because Massachusetts is the center of the deep state. I'm telling you guys. Oh, for so sure. What to do to get us to win here will be like a freaking bomb went off. Well, It'll if. If, equal or bigger than the Trump victory. If this thing, uh, if there, if these, you know, if this lockdown ends, we will come out. There's a great comedy club out there, the Boston Comedy Club, and yeah, yeah, uh, definitely, we will come out. We'll do a fundraiser for you. We'll do a live interview where, oh yeah, let's go. Uh, Eddie blown. can ask let's you a, all the important questions, <laughs> and uh, we can, <laughs> I'll check we, up on your research. Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll definitely make. It. Thank you, Doctor. Well, yeah, we to, we answer all the other questions too about communication. <laughs> okay. Well, dude, listen. Hey, man, we will come. Don't think we won't. I'm all about you. My man, all right. I'm all about supporting you. And if, if I have to come out and do my multi-layered dick jokes to help you win, then I will do it, right? Let's do it. Yeah. All right. We'll yeah. send it. 2020. Hey, man, we'll coordinate. We'll coordinate. You know, we have to November. So we'll coordinate and we'll come out. And, dude, I am all about doing a benefit for you and helping you in whatever capacity I can. Absolutely. Great. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Dr. Shiva. I love you guys all very much. Thank you. Be safe. Take care of yourself. And we'll see you guys soon. Take care. See ya. We go deep, homeboy. open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit.